On today's Notably Texan, it's my pleasure to welcome a veteran Texas singer, songwriter, and music producer who has recorded with his band The Happiness Factor and as a solo act, and he's produced albums for The Old 97s, Rhett Miller, and Death Ray Davies. His new solo record is just about to release, and we're long overdue to learn more about him here on the show. My guest today on KETR is Salim Narala. Man, it's a real pleasure to have you with me today, Salim. Welcome to Notably Texan. Thanks a ton, Matt. It's awesome to be here in commerce. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to welcome you out this way. And uh, we've got a lot to discuss, uh, including your new nuclear winter release. But uh, I always enjoy learning a little bit about the background of our guests when I have them in. And uh, I believe that you were born in Illinois, but how old were you when you moved to Texas? Three years old when we moved to El Paso. Oh, okay. Yeah. Have you ever have you ever been to El Paso? I don't think I have. I've been a lot of places in Texas, but I don't think I've ever yeah. actually been. Well, it's it's the place people usually drive through in, <laughs> as they're in, you know on their way from California or right. Arizona. So, yeah, I was raised there and and uh spent basically all of my formative years there. Wow. Okay. It's a drier climate there, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's actually nice. Yeah, because when it's 100 plus, you're not dying like here. Well, uh, what types of music did you get into while you were growing up and, and who kind of influenced your listening decisions? Well, the Beatles started it all. They're kind of responsible for this uh, life in music that I've had. I, I was uh, given a opportunity on my ninth birthday by my grandmother, Edna, who lived in Pleasant Grove, Arkansas. Okay. Uh, she had come down to El Paso. She said that I could pick out any album I wanted at Kmart and uh, for my birthday. And the one that caught my eye was All White. Okay. There was nothing on the cover. It was All White. And for anybody out there who knows anything about the Beatles, yes, it was the Beatles' White Album. And uh, it just it's still, to me, the most influential record that I've ever heard. Uh, later on, I got into new wave and punk stuff like I love The Clash and early Elvis Costello and stuff like that. But really, uh, the Beatles kind of reign supreme over, over everything. Still sounds good today, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. It, it's funny that they're remixing the, the Beatles albums and stuff, but uh, I, I suppose that's an effort to, to keep turning new people on to it, you know, and making money. Yeah, that's that unfortunately <laughs> is always behind uh, everything. But uh, man, I mean, yeah. you can't deny the greatness of, of that particular album by the Beatles. So uh, this is kind of one of these flighty questions that I came up with. But, uh, but what does music kind of mean to you on a personal level? And what made you want to pursue it as a job? Well, it, it really started as a form of uh, escapism therapy for me as a kid, because I've always been, I guess, kind of sensitive, especially to man's inhumanity towards man. And uh, as a child, I I was kind of overwhelmed by how crazy and messed up I thought the world was. It didn't make any sense to me. It was it was just an escape and and a way to kind of put feelings and to to. Uh, to get things out that I was unable to express uh, just 
you know, walking around talking to people. You know, there were things that I could express in music that that I couldn't express to adults or to my parents or to even peers. So it was kind of a combo of that, and uh, and I've been using it in a way to do those two things my entire life. Like not only escape. Uh, because my like my recording studio, for example, that I have back in Dallas is I've always called it my fort or my cave. It's okay. like when I'm in there, it doesn't really matter what's going on out there in the big bad world because it it just feels insulated, you know. Well, I appreciate you opening up on that. Yeah, well, good flighty question. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Well, uh, I know that you formed an early band with your uh, brother. Does musicianship run in your family? It does not. Okay. Yeah. My dad was a Syrian immigrant, for people wondering why I've got the weird name. He, he, he was one of 13 children from a very small town in Syria called Jeble. And he came to the University of Illinois in the 60s as a super scholar. He was on a full scholarship. He was supposed to go back and work for the Syrian government. It's a whole other story. And he met my mom, who was just a good Midwestern girl. She was born in Detroit, and she was in art. She was getting her master's degree in art at University of Illinois. And she was more arty, but she was into classical music. She she played piano, but not really seriously. Not so She was a little bit musical. But I also remember being struck by the fact that both of my parents when I was a kid didn't really even know anything much about the Beatles and which which is kind of crazy that's unusual if you think about yeah. it like how <laughs> their influence in pop culture and how famous they were that like my parents my dad it makes sense he was an immigrant my mom though it's kind of she was so into classical music she's like the Beatles <laughs> Who are these but that guys? she she was the demographic though that was she would have been um the right age to have gotten into the Beatles, you know? Well, uh, what drew you to uh, move to Denton then in your early twenties? Ah, <laughs> insanity. <laughs> well, well, we, my brother and I knew we had to get out of El Paso if we ever wanted to have a life in music. Cause there just were no opportunities there. And we were playing music with a guy who at the time went by Bobby Schneider. He later dropped, the by and became bob schneider okay nice the king of austin music yeah and so we were good friends with bob and we were playing music and we were all supposed to move to austin together and he went back to germany to visit his parents they were they were living over there at the time and then when he came back this one summer i broke the news that we were going to denton instead of austin which, which I think had to do with our, our dad sort of didn't like Austin and he was, he was really paranoid about Americans, like all Americans do drugs and <laughs> sex and the drinking and a bunch of hippies in Austin. So, uh, we, you know, that's, he shut us down. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in a way, uh, Denton kind of has a, a, a tiny Austin appeal, doesn't it? You know. Well, it 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 kind of does. We just thought we were really naive. We just it was a music school, so we thought that we were going to find like-minded musicians there, and and we did eventually find guys to be in our band. But 
it it was a long road to get to Dallas proper, which is really where I needed to be to start doing anything, you know, uh, that was going to amount to anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speaking with Salim Narala today on 88.9 KETR. And uh, you've made quite a name for yourself as a music producer, working with the old 97s and Smile Smile and many others. So uh, for the layman out there who uh, hears this term thrown around a lot, uh, can you describe what a music producer actually does? Well, a producer is kind of like the music equivalent of a film director. And uh, so I get involved, and different producers have different uh, ways of going about things, of course, just like directors. But... I really like to start at the beginning with the song selection because ultimately I'm a songwriter and I think everything boils down to songs. Like what's the point in making a record uh, if you don't have a group of good songs? So it's starting with that, but then it's all the way to the way you record, to the aesthetic of the recording, the sound of the, the recordings. Are, are we making a recording that's super slick, that's that's aiming to be a top 40 thing or are we trying to do something artistic and they're all kind of, I've got all kinds of opinions about reverb and what <laughs> microphones to use yeah. and I won't bore your listeners with all of it but but that all involves production yeah because yeah I think a lot of people hear this term uh, you know I talk to so many artists and they'll they'll be uh, raving about their producer on their album or whatnot mm -hmm. and I don't know if everybody even understands you know what a producer uh, does in the studio and it's it's a lot of things <laughs> yeah it, it really is and sometimes it's 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 psychology and especially with bands is is there's an element of managing the different personalities assessing who the weakest link is who is usually the most insecure weakest link is usually most insecure. Yeah. And then, so there's all these head things that also come into it. So it's, I, I love doing it. And my mother had found a manifesto that I made when I was 18 that listed what I wanted to do with my life. It's pretty amazing. She found that cause I had no recollection of doing it, but at the top it, it was like number one, uh, which was play my own music, but also help others and produce records. Wow. And number two was not be famous in all caps. <laughs> no kidding. Which is really funny to me because with this name, that was never going to happen, right? <laughs> I was so naive about my name, you know. So I was intent on not being famous. <laughs> wow, that is fascinating. Yeah, yeah, isn't it crazy how we have yeah. no recollection of doing some of those things, no. writing that stuff down, although I'm sure it was extremely important at the time. <laughs> yeah, well, I was just happy my mom saved that, found that, and kept it. She was obviously amused by it. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> so uh, you ended up working with an artist who uh, I believe we both grew up listening to from the band The Church. So what brought you together with uh, Marty Wilson Piper? Well, on the way in, I, my daughter's with me, uh, my daughter Mia, who's 13, and uh, I was reminiscing because we were driving east on I-30, and I don't ever get out that way, but I had this flashback of, of in 1988, the very first night that we were in Denton, we'd just driven all night from Dallas. We heard on the radio that the church was playing Starplex, 
And was this that? Was this by chance that show that was like ten dollars a carload? Or I something? think it was <laughs> because I was yeah. at that show. That's amazing. <laughs> High five. Well, well, back in the day, I tried to tell my daughter. You know, there were no phones for navigation. There was you use maps or whatever. I don't even know how we got around. <laughs> but my sister Miriam and I, she was the only one that was up for going. Uh, we're driving around. E- mesquite trying to find the uh, to to find starplex and i was i was telling my daughter god you know if you told that kid way back then that well in how many years 30 something year <laughs> yeah. in 30 something years marty wilson piper will be your friend and on your new album and recording at this very moment that we're speaking he's in my recording studio <laughs> really producing a session and i I couldn't help but get a laugh, you know, driving and having that flashback and yeah. thinking, you know, life is weird, isn't it? <laughs> it certainly is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe half the battle is just hanging in there. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> More than half the battle. So how did you two actually connect? Well, when I when I was in Denton going to school there, there was a guy named Big Bucks Burnett. Who had a had a record shop called Fourteen Records, and I used to like going to his shop after class. And one afternoon after class, I w- I had two albums I brought up to the counter, and it's funny because they were both Australian bands. One was the Go Betweens, who I loved and still love, and the other was the Church, and Marty looked at me i was you know he sort of had long hair at the time and uh and he said are you in a band oh (laughs) yes of course i am (laughs) and he and he asked if we had a demo tape he said he had a friend who had a record label and uh i i remember bursting through the front door of our apartment complex that the guy in the record shop wants our demo tape and so we we proceeded in earnest uh, earnestly to uh, to make a demo tape that then i presented to him four to six weeks later and it actually led to us getting a record deal there was a independent label called Dragon Street Records. Oh, nice name. <laughs> it was run by David Denard, who's still a friend of mine, and Patrick Keel. And they were, Patrick was the producer, David. Uh, they were a rhythm section that actually played for Christopher Cross. David was in Gary Myrick uh, uh, in the figures, I think, you know, okay. Gary Myrick. And um, anyway, that that was the beginning of our, our professional, air quotes, <laughs> career. But cut to 2018, I'm still friends with Big Bucks, Burnett, and he had been friends with Marty and Steve from the church since seeing them in the early 80s. I think at a place called like the Hot Club on Lower Greenville Avenue. I don't know if you remember. It, I could be getting the name wrong. but <laughs> I don't remember that place in particular. But they played in the, like, the very, very early 80s, and then Bucks got on, on as, a, as a friend for life. So Marty was looking for a gig, an acoustic gig, and I host these sort of house concert situations in my recording studio from time to time. And I hosted Marty and his wife, Olivia, and we got on like a house on fire. We were just, uh, just Marty is everything music, and and I think I'm similar, and he has a tremendous enthusiasm for music and I relate to that, and he was just really nice and 
oh, I'd always loved his guitar playing in his band. So just one thing led to another, and later that year, uh, asked him to produce this record and play on this record, A Nuclear Winter, which is now finally coming out. Yeah. Five years <laughs> later. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of how it all happened, through Big Bucks. Wow. Okay. Well, you just never know, man. I yeah. Mean, Again, <laughs> another tale of uh, you know, hang in there. It's uh, Keep your friends. I There's so <laughs> many stories like this where you just never know uh, people that you're going to meet that are going to end yeah. up being a connection to something else huge in your life. So, For sure. I mean... I don't know if, if there's a moral to the story, but I think it is. Don't so. burn bridges. There you go. <laughs> make <laughs> make a lot of connections and uh, and make some friends out there yeah. because you never know what it's going to bring to your life. <laughs> There'll be more morals for those of you tuning yeah, in. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking with Salim Narala here on 88.9 KETR. And uh, I understand that, uh, that when you did record with Wilson Piper in 2018, it was at a uh, Nashville studio that I think uses some uh, old school equipment. Tell me about that. Yeah, it's called Welcome to 1979. And it's like walking into a time capsule for sure. Wow. Like a lot of um, shag carpet and wood paneling and vintage gear. And I, I'd only ever recorded in Texas uh, mainly in my studio, which is called Pleasantry Lane, and then, but also a lot in Austin at a place called the Tree Fort. And I'd I'd produced a couple of old ninety sevens records in the Tree Fort, as well as um, my record Hit Parade. Uh, so it was just the idea was to shake things up, and I was uh, at the time amusing myself with the thought of making a decidedly non alt country record. In Nashville. Yeah. I felt like it was subversive in some way, which is ridiculous. Because there's all kinds of music coming I know. out of Nashville. Like, it, you know, that was silly. But at the time, it was amusing. <laughs> and so they're actually rolling tape in there, right? I mean, yeah, we were rolling tape and we were able to set the whole band up, which was important. Because uh, there's something about the whole gang playing together. Some people are still making records like that, but a lot of people are also aren't where where bands don't play anymore together. You just right, it's just tracks over tracks, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you start with the drums and then you build. Which And I've made records like that, but in this case, it felt like we we wanted a band, you know. Yeah, that's like so much more organic, right? And I think... Uh, For sure. You know, the again for the layman out there that doesn't really think about the way music is made uh they might think that everything is done like you see in that beatles documentary and like you're describing where all, all four guys or gals are in, in the studio looking at one another playing but in reality most of the stuff these days particularly lately has been done remotely you know where the track sure. is sent from it's city true. to city and then they they lay their part in and then it gets handed off to somebody else and <laughs> we can thank the 80s for that when when the music biz started realizing that drum machines and things being in perfect time were creating hits, everything shifted. And so a lot of the music that we hear that was recorded in the 60s and 70s were, were done in a way where musicians were playing together and they were doing a lot of tracks without click tracks. Uh, for those of you who don't know what a click track is, it's a metronome, it's a tempo. Right. Uh, now I think it's it's kind of fifty fifty. Yeah, I understand. People, I know a yeah. lot of people have been kind of moving back to uh, to Absolutely. doing it the old school way. Yeah, 
it's it's got to be more thrilling i would think for the performers in the studio to be able to lay it down live and be like man we nailed it on that one yeah there's an excitement for sure but i i just like it. whatever ultimately the end result is what matters so what however you uh, there's a terrible scan- saying about skinning cats so I'll try not <laughs> yeah. to use, but it doesn't ultimately matter how you get there. It's getting there. After you recorded in that Nashville studio, as you kind of alluded to earlier, we didn't hear any of these recordings for several years until uh, See You and Marfa came out last year, which was an EP with a couple of those songs. So um, why the uh, long delay? Well, it was all to do with big bad COVID and the world <laughs> pandemic. Uh, Marty was supposed to come back and we were going, going to tour the record and do the things that you do. And I'm a, I'm a big old school proponent of that's what you do. You know, you do, I'm not going to put out a record and not go play and not play songs off of it. So it took that long to basically for things to get back to normal in my world and his world it wasn't until uh, last fall that Marty and Olivia, his wife, were finally able to come back to the States from Portugal. And we did some shows in Texas in January, acoustic shows. And and then I just, I'm a patient man. <laughs> so I just thought, we'll set this up right. We're, we're doing band shows in late June. We're doing a big show at Sons of Herman Hall on June 24th to celebrate and we're playing Austin and, and San Antonio as well. And, and I'm just basking in the slow rollout, you know, because <laughs> once, once the album comes out and once we do all that stuff, then it, it's over and you'll be on to the next thing. Right. And uh, so, it's not like this music goes bad or something, you know, I mean, even though it was recorded several years ago, yeah. uh, if we weren't telling the story, nobody would even know necessarily. It, exactly. Right? I mean, the new release, Nuclear Winter, which is coming out June 23rd, is going to mark your eighth studio album. And I was kind of curious if uh, your familiarity with working in recording studios on so much material through the years has kind of taken away the nerves and, and excitement of uh, trying to lay down the perfect tracks, or, or if you actually still get kind of uh, excited when it's time to actually go in the studio and record. And I do realize that you recorded this stuff several years ago, but this is just a general question. Yeah, well, when I first started my studio and was working on my, my first solo album, which is called Polaroid, and that came out, I think, in 2003 or four. I remember at the time I had recording anxiety. Like, I, I'd gotten to the point where I didn't like being in recording studios, it was, and it, was, it just caused me a lot of anxiety. But I, am, I couldn't be any further away from that now. Uh, I don't, I don't get anxious at all about singing or anything really. And I, I really enjoy it. So I think that that's something that, um, I'm grateful for having my own place to record. And I've, I've made this really comfortable, uh, place with a very distinct environment and, and I love it. So yeah, like I said, I think you've got a different uh, perspective because I think a lot of bands, you know, are, are just kind of doing their thing. They're gigging, they're practicing uh, at home or whatever, and they're like, "Oh man, we got to go into the studio. This is going to be so nerve wracking." You know, what if we what if we don't nail it that day that we paid to go in the studio or whatever? But you've got a different perspective because you have your own studio. You're in yeah. there kind of all the time. Well, then it was born out of survival though, because because when I was coming up playing music, the only way to record was to be on a major label 
and for someone to give you a bunch of dough to go record. And the only people that really had recording studios when I was first starting out were like the the people like Bob Dylan or Tom Petty or the ones that are really loaded. And so one of the great things about the they they call it the collapse of the of the major label system. One it kind of corresponded with computer recording and then people like me that could then start their own studios and have a way to survive. So that's how I've survived going way back yeah. you know, to then. Do it yourself, DIY. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, Nuclear Winter has a lot of material uh, that, as I understand it, was written uh, several years ago, but you kind of unearthed it uh, for last year's uh, See You in Marfa EP and your next release. Uh, would you be willi- willing to talk a little bit about uh, why these songs were shelved so long and uh, what made this kind of the right time to bring them to light? Yeah, well, it's. Uh, I think that albums, I'm a throwback Obviously, I've already said to the Beatles, but I think one big thing about the Beatles that I really appreciate is the way their albums have a certain sound. And when I'm working on an album, I'm, I'm not just looking for, oh, these are the 10 songs I have right now. It's, it's what, what's the sound of this album going to be? And what's, how do these songs work together as a collection? Everything from the sonics of it to the artwork the whole thing. And these, uh, these were just song. some of them were going back to when I was working on an album called Skeleton Closet, for example, which came out in 2015, I wrote a song called The Sound of Suffering that just sonically didn't have anything to do with that record. It was kind of a messy, jagged, weird record. Uh, and so I set that one aside. And then other songs came in when I was doing another album after Skeleton Closet called Somewhere South of Sane, which didn't have any drums on it. So I wrote a few songs that were clearly band songs meant to be played with a drummer, and there was no way they were going to end up on that album. So I just set them aside as well. So after a while... I had, when I finally got around to making a band album, I just look at, well, what's been, what's been in the pile you know, yeah. that I've been kind of building up? And, and there were songs in that pile that didn't make it to this record, that didn't fit in. You know, that's also part of the EP, the See You and Marfa EP. I, didn't, I, I really liked Marfa as a song, but I didn't feel like it fit in with Nuclear Winter. I see. And the whole like, see you and Marfa. Marfa has nothing to do with a nuclear winter. Yeah. What? <laughs> so yeah, that's why I wanted to make an EP with these other tracks, and it sort of felt they felt better together. So uh, if uh, record stores were still prevalent, and uh, you know, props to the handful that still exist out there. Uh, there's not any in our immediate area here, but they're out there. But um, if they did uh, still exist everywhere, what section do you think that your new album uh, would reside in? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Well, it'd be in under N. <laughs> okay. All <laughs> but, right. Fair yeah. enough. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's rock and roll. I think for people wondering who I'd compare myself to now, it's kind of like, what was Tom Petty? He was just kind of rock and roll, right? Right. <laughs> Which there were a lot of people that flirt with, oh, indie rock or indie pop or, or uh, it, 
it, but I think at this point I would just be in in the rock and roll section. <laughs> I gotcha. If there is, there, there may not be a rock and roll section. <laughs> I don't know. Which is kind of funny. <laughs> I mean, there are so many cross sections, honestly, on uh, on music genres these yeah. days that it's uh, it's almost too much to keep up with. So <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, I guess you know we're just playing four piece drum kit, Ludwig drums, and Rickenbacker guitars, and precision basses, and it's. It's rock and roll. We are a listener-supported public radio station, and while you're here today, Salim, uh, would you be willing to mention some of the things that uh, that you personally appreciate about non-commercial radio? I really appreciate the it's supported by the listeners, and I love the independent spirit of it. That I, I feel like without non-com radio, well, then you've just got commercial radio. And that doesn't seem right, does it? Because, you know, commercial is big business. Uh, why should somebody who uh, listens to this station uh, consider pitching in their support? Well, because then you're left with only commercial radio. And there are so many great news things that NPR, all kinds of informative programs and a variety of music that no other for you know no other stations offer you already talked about you've been to a lot of other npr stations i think these are often the types of stations that are that are giving you know you the time you deserve Absolutely. too so <laughs> yeah yeah at this point i've i've told people with the label you know i don't even bother sending my records to to anything but npr stations <laughs> really? I, i'm not joking wow yeah that's kind of the reality of where we are is that uh, i mean you can't just uh, you know, people have dreams of like, oh, I'm going to make an album and uh, I'm going to send it to the local uh, commercial radio station yeah. and they're going to play it. I mean, if they ever do, it would be a, a in a novelty way. You know, I think I don't think it would ever be taken very seriously. Yeah. But uh, I think, you know, places like this where there are still last surviving DJs, you know, who who are interested in music and musicians. Uh, I think that's that's where it's happening. These it's days. really true. Like I've gotten a tremendous amount of support from KXT in Dallas over the years. And uh, they're, they're, before them, it just, there was never anything like that. Yeah. So I'm very appreciative. Well, thanks for opening up on that. Tell me about the song that you'd like to uh, perform in studio today. Well, I'm going to do a song called Under Attack, which was one of the last songs I wrote before we went and recorded the album. And I just, uh, it's kind of got a unique, I think, subject matter. It's its about the inner negativity that um, many people uh, generate that they're not aware of. And I, I think a lot of... Um, madness in this world comes from the you know these thoughts that we are unable to uh, observe and not participate in let's take a listen to this now it's a live in studio performance by salim narella of under attack on notably texan under attack under attack under attack but the enemy's you There's a ticket tape of useless thoughts And all our heads messages that will not stop They never rest relentless, wretched, full of want Are you listening? Under attack 
You're under attack Under attack But the enemy is you Under attack Under attack Under attack But the enemy is you There's a battle playing in your mind It's killing you, no soldiers, only word landmines Are plaguing you, the daylight sacrifice Is a shrine to your misery Misery keeps you company Always tells you lovingly lies So you can't see the good in your trajectory Only so much misery Under attack you're under attack Under attack from the enemy inside Under attack We're all under attack Under attack from the enemy Inside A live performance by Salim Narala here at 88.9 KETR. Now, you've got a, uh, a big album release show planned on uh, June 24th in Dallas. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, we're playing the historic Sons of Herman Hall, which has been the scene of many of my favorite gigs over the years. It's, it's over 100 years old. And we've got a great build. The Death Ray Davies are on it. And the Beatles of San Antonio, they're called Buttercup, good okay. good friends of mine, as well as another Dallas band called the Ottoman Turks. Yeah. And, and then Death Ray and Buttercup and my band are also taking it, taking it to Austin and uh, San Antonio. Nice. Now, is, uh, is Marty Wilson Piper going to be at that show? He is. He's going to, he's supposed to play the entire set with our band. Wow. Okay. So that'll be... Yeah, and I think uh, it'll it, it's going to be the beginning of a of a new thing, hopefully, where we do uh, more band shows in the future. That's together. exciting. Yeah, I'm sure that uh, all of your gigs and and more about you can be uh, found on your web presence. Yes, salimnarala.com. Good luck spelling it. <laughs> I was gonna say I don't know if you want to spell it or not. It's really not that hard, yeah. but uh, I'll well, make sure, I'll make sure people have got okay. the spelling on this before it's all said and done for Thank anybody you, who's just discovering you today. Yeah, <laughs> discovering letters. I am really kicking myself that we have not talked until now. Like I said, uh, your name has come up uh, in a lot of uh, other discussions, and I've seen your name listed in uh, liner notes and whatnot. And uh, I'm just glad that we were able to, to connect today. And, and let's let's make it not the last time. Yeah, I agree. It's just so great finally meeting you, and thank you so much for inviting me out. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I wish you all the best, man. Thank you. Same to you, Matt. Hopefully, see you again soon. His new album, available now, is titled A Nuclear Winter. 
More about that record and the artist is available at Salim, S-A-L-I-M, Nurala, N-O-U-R-A-L-L-A-H, dot com. SalimNurala.com. I really enjoyed our discussion today. Thanks for stopping by, Salim. This is Notably Texan on 88.9 KETR. We're online at KETR.org. Thank you so much for listening.